Well, our names are Teresa and Gumby. Welcome to Escaping Society. We wrote our own song so we wouldn't have to pay for anyone else's copyright infringement. And we live in a van and we eat from the trash. Making this podcast open for cash. You better listen up because we probably won't last. Because we can't compete with nonsense. Hypnotizing nonsense. Welcome to Escaping Society. This is the fourth installment of our transhumanist series that we're um, going through. So this is four, Rise of Sophia and the Nerds, episode 103. I'm Teresa. I'm Gumby. And this is, as Gumby has, uh, we've, we've talked about, this is probably the biggest umbrella research that we've encountered. I don't I don't see too many other people doing this. And the darkest. Um, you know, we took a couple episode break from this partly as sort of a uh, psychological break. Because <laughs> I, I feel like I've never delved, delved into like darker territory than we're getting into right now. Yeah, and for listeners that are just tuning in, you should definitely check out the first three episodes of this series. But um, yeah, we were just kind of wondering, does anything tie this madness that we're experiencing in the world today does anything tie it all together and with the mass hysteria around covid the mass hysteria around critical race theory and uh wokeness and uh transgender this and that um we were just kind of trying to figure out if there's anything that connects it all and uh we started looking into transhumanism and lo and behold, there's a lot of interesting threads to pull, um, as other people have said. <laughs> so, Gumby, do you have anything else you want to say before we get started? Well, I always like to mention where we're at because, uh, you know, we've talked about in other episodes, quite a few episodes, animism. And um, yeah, I, I feel like place is really important. So I think we, you know, come from a different place so to speak, when we're actually at a different place. So we're at Pisgah Mountain right now along the Blue Ridge Parkway. Uh, got harassed by a ranger last night as we're trying to go to sleep and had to move and uh, found a little place that we got away with the, the rest of the night, you know, getting a, a pretty good night's sleep. And uh, so, yeah, so, you know, we did uh, the Scenic Journal last episode and we're still up here in the Blue Ridge uh, Mountains um, getting cooler and uh, yeah, nice to be up here. But 
yeah, I feel like we'd do a totally different episode down in Durham. We'd be in a whole different mood and mindset. <laughs> um, and let's see, any other things before we get started? I mean, I don't know. I don't want to get into a whole long thing like I tried to do last episode about, you know, where we're at as a, the human animal with our technology. But, uh, you know, this is a time we're going to start, continue our timeline starting at 2010. We, we left off at 2009. Um with the rise of Rocco's Basilisk last episode. And um, just to kind of point out that we're in a world now where there's been a big push for uh, transgender rights, that this um, gender dysphoria, the feeling that there is a, that whatever you think you are is a combination of mind and body and that it is possible and apparently um, widespread according to this narrative um, getting more widespread all the time, that people are actually born in the wrong body. That uh, this is a view of the world, of life, of how we're born, of everything. These, this has deep implications to have this belief. And so this is something that's really taking hold in our culture at this point. This culture that for over 100 years has been addicted to electricity, um, can't even conceive of voluntarily giving it up at this point, and that we are surrounded by bionic... Um, devices that we use daily, that we, again, cannot conceive of doing without at this point, that are um, devices meant to help us uh, overcome our biological limitations. We have bionic mind extensions that we call smartphones that give us access <laughs> to the internet. We have biological communication extensions. You might you might say extensions. You might say biological uh, larynxes, biological ears. Again, in the smartphone, so much technology was combined there in the smartphone. Um, so we can communicate with people all over the world at a moment's notice and be uh, available to be communicated with. And not to mention so many other things. I mean, with the video games, we haven't even dipped into video games at all, and we're probably not going to get into it this episode. But that's had a huge impact on a couple generations of children at this point. Uh, video games that require more time, that get us in deeper to an augmented or virtual reality, and that get more violent. Um, that the U.S. military has used blatantly to um, recruit people into the military. Remember that commercial we saw? You know, when we go in a hotel room that's got like, it looks like a fucking video game, but it's an, a U.S. Army recruitment thing, and it's like, oh, yeah. the replenisher. And it shows somebody who's like a cook in the Army. You know, <laughs> and it shows like avatars of like whatever person you'd be in the Army with some kind of catchy name, and it looks just like a video game. It's so obviously meant to target gamers, which so many people in our population are. And this car culture, you know, these bionic exoskeletons we crawl into to enhance our uh, speed and strength. Um, the list just goes on and on. So we are so far down the transhumanist hole by 2010. Um, and I guess, you know, if there's anything you think of that you want to kind of catch us up about sort of painting a picture of where we are at this point, um, throw that in. But that's kind of all I want to say before we get back into our timeline. I'll add in there that there aren't too many parents. There are some, but there are not too many parents who often encourage their children to learn skill sets that are not going to increase their advantage in this society, in this civilization. And what that looks like is the acronym SCIENCE, TECHNOLOGY, 
engineering and math, the STEM curriculum. And I know for myself, uh, my parents, you know, they wanted me to have whatever opportunities I could get on computers, on the internet. And that was so that I would have an advantage, you know, I wouldn't be the, the child that was left behind in this technological world. And so I'm not blaming parents, but I guess I'm just painting a picture of like the kids of the 2000s, definitely. I mean, they were born after the internet was getting more and more widespread, like in the late 90s. So their entire life has been computers, screens, video games, virtual reality. And aside from a few exceptions, um, this is this, these are the future generations. They don't know what living is because they've been living in a virtual world. Yeah, it's a lot easier to give up what might be called reality if you have hardly ever experienced it. Um, likewise, when I was an outdoor educator, you know, one of the things that I was taught from my teachers early on is to help children fall in love with the natural world because you cannot... Uh, be an advocate for nature if you haven't fallen in love with it, if you don't know it. If you just think in theory that nature is a good thing, you'll never have the right words. You'll never have the right heart for that. You need to immerse yourself in it. And so in lieu of what Teresa is saying, we have so many generations of people who have been cut off, um, who have not had that immersion. Um, just little dips, perhaps, if you're lucky, like with your Boy Scout or Girl Scout troop to get out in the woods. But that connection, that this is part of me, um, is missing, intentionally so, and to a horrifying degree at this point, a 2010, with so many kids growing up on video games and uh, smartphones. They're not even talking to each other. Um, the division is, is complete. And um, another thing I want to throw in there that I was thinking as you were talking, Teresa, was a huge glaring fact that gets... I was going to say downplayed, but I'd say ignored entirely, is the more that we raise our kids to be dependent on these devices to be successful in this world, the more helpless we are. You know, a lot of people, we listen to a lot of podcasts that are kind of, I don't know, like libertarian-leaning, anarcho-capitalist-leaning. Um, I just feel like this group of people, at least for me right now, is making more sense than a lot of the other groups. Um, not that I consider myself a libertarian or an anarcho-capitalist. Um, I just think they're making better arguments lately, so I, I like to listen. And they talk about freedom. They talk about constitution. They talk about these rights that we whoa, have. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I think that's considered hate speech now. Indeed, it should be, <laughs> you know, in this society. Um, freedom, we all know what that means. But these people don't speak against technology whatsoever, and I feel like they're ignoring and missing a huge thing is it doesn't matter if the government goes completely full-on Nazi Germany, fascist. We are so dependent at this point that we can complain, we can make overtures of rebellion, but who's going to give up electricity? Who's going to give up the internet? Who's going to give up any of these devices that we are solely dependent on? 200 years ago, you might have said, screw this, I'm going to take my rifle, I'm going to take my family, we're going to move someplace and try to build our own house, raise our own vegetables. That has become not impossible, but pretty damn close to it, extremely difficult at this point. Um, 
So I just want to to paint that into our picture, you know, about this big important thing staring us right in the face, this downside to this technology, and what the implications are. Have we not, so many of us, already crossed over a line that we completely don't believe in what's going on by our government, by our society, and yet we still find ourselves going along with it? funding it with our money, with our time, participating in these devices, when we know where the lithium mines come from, when we know about the exploited workers in third world countries, when just a little bit of digging reveals the evil behind the toys that we use, including this iPad we're talking into right now. (laughs) That dependence, and Teresa and I have been talking a lot about this lately. We've been making lists of like survival skills that we want to really buckle down and try to hone this winter. Um, But that's what we're trading in. And it doesn't matter what the government does. Um, We're kind of forced to go along with it at this point. You know, a big thing in the news right now is the anti-vaxxers, people are vaccine hesitant. Anybody that's thinking, eh, at least I don't want to get the vaccine right now because I've got a lot of questions and they're not being answered. How are you going to resist when they start buckling down and it starts affecting your food, your shelter, your electricity? We got to get free. So anyway, I didn't want to go on to that big of a, a rant to start us off. But anyway, is there anything else you want to say before we jump into our timeline? No, I think we should jump into the timeline because otherwise we're just going to keep talking about all the ideas and, and conversations that we had. That's true. All right, 2010. Um, that's where we're picking up. And one of the big things that happened in 2010 is in the UK, the Equality Act was passed. And Teresa, I'll throw in my two cents as I can, but uh, can you, would you mind trying to give an explanation as you understand it of what this act is and what it does? Okay. I don't live in the UK, never have. Um, So please, if you're listening and you understand this better than I do, I have not had internet for several days either. So Um, back in 2004, we mentioned on the timeline that the Gender Rights Act was passed in the UK. And As far as I can tell, the Gender Rights Act only protected transsexuals, not people who identify as transgender. Now, I'm a little fuzzy on that difference. Is is a transsexual someone who gets a sex change and you're saying this is extended now to people who have not necessarily gotten a sex change but just identify as the opposite sex? Well, let's forget about the sex change aspect because transgender people, as you know, often also get reassignment surgery or whatever they're calling it at this point. Gender confirmation yes. surgery. Or affirma- yeah, something like that. Affirmation surgery. Um, I believe the transsexuals are focused on their sexuality, their sexual orientation, and the transgenders are focused on their gender identity. But sexual orientation, isn't that al- already a gay lesbian? I mean, isn't that covered in I, and I think like you know how uh the the common term like the colloquial term tranny is for transsexuals like especially um it used to be a lot of men who would dress up as women cross-dressers cross-dressers sure yeah which that's a big overlap we listened to disaffected uh hosted by Josh Slocum who's uh you know a loud and proud gay man 
And he really has a lot of criticism against the transgender movement and tries to distinguish. Like he's like, there's LGB. That T does not belong with the LGB. And it's been really interesting to hear uh, that coming from his point of view. But I would say here's some overlap because he admits that he did some cross-dressing, that that used to be a big part of the gay community. So well, like drag queen stuff. Drag queen stuff, and yeah. And so different. would that consider like a transgender activity done by a <laughs> gay man? Is that as confusing as I think it is, or am I just not getting it? I think it? it is confusing, and without being able to read more on this, I think the biggest takeaway is that the 2010 Equality Act that was passed, as far as I can tell, was giving protection to now the transgender population because the 2004 gender protection from what fuck if i know (laughs) like protection from uh discrimination let's say i don't know It, it obviously the government in the united kingdom was trying to you know make sure that the people of their country under their jurisdiction had the rights of other people in that country. So just like we have, you know, uh, for, for workplaces, you know, they don't discriminate against this, that, and the other, like age, sex, you know, I mean, I just don't understand what that means. For instance, Mm -hmm. uh, protection from violence, but don't we already, according to the law, supposedly have protection from violence? I mean, I don't know of any, maybe it's for the workplace, maybe. All right. Protection from discrimination at the workplace or housing. Yeah. But I mean, isn't there always going to be, I mean, as a white man, I'm supposed to be the cream of the crop. The world is in my palm. Um, And I've been discriminated against. I've been discriminated against for my credit score, which you could argue goes back to uh, my poor upbringing, you know, my parents who also had bad, bad credit scores and passed down bad habits. I just... I guess I'm trying to point out, I'm not trying to, you know, I hear you kind of like, oh, don't put me on the spot. I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I'm trying to point out that there's questions here that I don't, I have not been shown that stand up to very, uh, the light of reason. For instance, if I'm trying to go into a business partnership with somebody, you could say that I'm renting out a place and they want to rent it. Don't I need to discriminate a little bit? Don't I need to evaluate and think like, well, this person just showed up like drunk. This person just showed up and like was cussing loudly in the front yard. Don't I have a right to think I've got other renters and houses nearby. I also need to protect them. So this person might not be a good tenant. So it's, I don't know. It just, I guess I'm trying to point out that this protection yeah, but isn't so simple. Yeah, but there aren't necessarily, at least not yet, uh, laws that have been passed to protect against drunk people or people that cause drama. This but is... I guess my point is, don't we want discrimination? <laughs> don't we want our landlord to you... be able to say no to certain people, not just like, I mean, goddamn, Teresa, haven't we met so many people in our lives that are just like, you wouldn't want to like, you know, just like your yeah. neighbor, like, I mean, there, it's not a race thing. It's just like, I don't know. You see what I'm trying to get at? I see what you're trying to get at. On the other hand, if you do use your discriminating mind, your, your sensibilities to 
discern between whether or not this person is going to be an acceptable tenant or an acceptable employee. You better think twice before you discriminate using your sensible mind if that person is protected under laws specifically for their, you know, color of their skin, their um, disability or whatever you're calling it now, or their gender identity. Because if you do discriminate against them, even if there might be a good reason, they have a law that protects them and they might try to paint you as a person who is basically discriminating against them because of their gender identity or their sexual orientation or their skin versus the fact that you think that they might be an asshole and not be a good tenant or an employee. Okay, well, I'm not going to go too much further down this line of questioning that I started, but (laughs) I'll just say that I think there's a lot of bullshit big blind spots in it. For instance, if I'm going to get a job, I know I've got to dress a certain way. You might say I identify as a poor white man, a hobo. I like wearing patches in my pants. I like wearing clothes that make me comfortable, that feel like me. And I have to dress in a way that doesn't feel like me if I want certain jobs. So I think we're kind of getting into some weird, bizarre, like, let's just look at this and make a big deal of this and let's ignore this other side kind of stuff. But I will say, go ahead. I was just going to say, and that's a really good point, is it's so confusing whether it is um, your, your race, your age, your gender identity, why not transcend all of that? Well, that's uh, something I was thinking is this uh, Equality Act. Why'd you give me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich in the middle of a party? <laughs> God damn it. Um, this Equality Act opens the door to a lot of things. For instance, it validates the idea... I mean, now legitimately, there's more impetus that you can indeed be born in the wrong body. We are going to say that that has not got to do with um, a wrong kind of thinking, a mental illness, people that need to be helped, that actually the way to help these people is they are in fact born in the wrong body and that needs correction. We've also opened the door to a whole group of people that as we're going to see as we go down the timeline, um, through social media, through... um, you know, stunning and brave, this person's a hero because they got a sex change through this kind of stuff. We've opened the door to a lot of people that are going to be sterile, who are going to have unnecessary surgery on perfectly healthy bodies, which opens the door through the transhumanist lens to a lot of things that go way beyond gender. Um, It sets a precedent It sets a precedent for things that I believe were the plan all along. I don't think the people in power gave a shit about people with gender dysphoria. I think they saw an opportunity to open a door that once that door is open, now, why don't you get your arm cut off, for instance? And I know, you know, people always, before it happens, it's like, oh, give me a break. People aren't doing that. Well, actually, it turns out a couple people are doing shit like this. But (laughs) once it happens, you'll see the path in hindsight that now you can get a bionic arm and maybe this thing does all kinds of stuff, you know, works like a smartphone, tells you your the time, the date, you know, like has a barcode in it. We've already seen technology that people get things implanted in their arm um, through unnecessary surgery. Also, 
overpopulation. Boy, hasn't that been a looming problem for so long? I mean, all the way back to, I don't remember what decade, the 60s or 70s, when Soylent Green came out. And it pointed out this dystopian future, like, what are we going to do about this population? It's getting bigger and bigger. This is a problem. I've often wondered, like, these people in charge, they have to be thinking about what to do about it. And I suspect this is part of that, because more and more this movement, this trans movement, one of the side of, well, I don't know if I'd call it a side effect, but one of the uh, effects of this is people who cannot have children in the biological, natural way. Hmm. If these people want to have children, not just adopt children, but have their own genetic children, we need more science. We need a push to delve into cloning, things like that. Um, this is all straight down the pipe of the transhumanist agenda, and I think this is what it's all about. But anyway, we'll get more into that down the timeline. And Teresa, I know I'm getting uh, hung up on a lot of topics. I've got things to say. So if you want to move me along quicker at any point, like you want to talk about it, Teresa's the director of this episode. <laughs> so that takes us to 2011, the next year. Google X Lab starts um, working on Google Brain, an artificial intelligence research project. So as we know, if you've uh, followed our little mini-series up to this point. This is not a new thing. It's just another person throwing their hat into the ring of, like, let's push this forward. Now, until this week when we were studying this, I saw artificial intelligence and the technological singularity on the horizon, which is an artificial intelligence that will take over all artificial intelligence and the human species. It will basically govern us. And this is a very realistic thing that people that are in the sphere of uh, pushing our technology forward, they, they not only say it's possible, it is inevitable. It is going to happen, they say. I thought this was just sort of a parallel, like, okay, we've got uh, post-genderism over here. We've got, um, I don't know, bionic parts over here, downloading our minds into computers over here. I didn't really see the bridge. I just thought it was like different fingers moving into the future that were working together that called itself transhumanism. It suddenly dawned on me as we're researching that why they're pushing this artificial intelligence forward that's going to turn into a technological singularity is they need it. They've done enough research on their own to realize that there is a potential for people living to be a thousand years old, maybe never having to die. But we're in a race right now. We are a fuel economy, and I guess we'll probably talk more about this in the future. I won't get too much into it. But for many, many reasons, more reasons than I understood recently, um, I just got new information on this. Yeah, there was a Derek Jensen interview of a woman by the name of Alice Friedman. I think that's how you pronounce it. I wrote this in the dark. And it, she wrote a book um, that had to do with fossil fuels. And I'll give this back to you. But yeah, Alice Friedman, F-R-I-E-D-E. Yeah, there is nothing close to an alternative energy. When the fuel runs out, it's not just a matter of making electricity and transporting it to other places. To make so many of the materials dependent, even the concrete, the, the, the staples of our culture, of our society, we need coal. We need oil to reach that temperature. Um, this woman that uh, Teresa mentioned, Friedman, Mm-hmm. was explaining how even if we had nuclear processors, if we somehow like got to this place, we'd have to build all the factories right around it to benefit from the heat. It's not just electricity, it's heat. 
um, this society is teetering. It's about to collapse because it is completely dependent on oil. There's no even the solar panels, the windmills, whatever. These are still equally dependent on oil. They're not even close to being independent of oil. So we're in a race right now. If you're a technologist, you know, a transhumanist, that if we don't reach this hurdle that we haven't been able to come close to figuring out, this shit is about to stop. And I think this is a big push for the technological singularity. We need something that can think a lot smarter than us, a whole lot faster, that once it gets rolling, um, the science becomes exponential. It moves faster than we ever dreamed it would before because perhaps the technological singularity can figure out this problem that we're not even close to figuring out. And if we have more time, we'll be able to break through that little window and maybe live forever, that ambition all the way back to uh, Gilgamesh, the fountain of youth, <laughs> that final like where we get to usurp the old gods and we are the new gods. Um and Teresa, I saw you. I wanted to finish my thought, but you were kind of leaning in there. Is there something you want to say before I move on? Oh, I just wanted to clarify, too, why there there isn't a solution yet to the dwindling fossil fuels, aside from the fact that we just happened to live in the time frame of when all of this uh, organic matter was all of a sudden pretty much, I don't want to say all at once, but it was covered up. And so we have huge deposits of oil, or we did. Um, it all has to do, this woman was talking about, it has to do with kind of an old problem, like an age-old problem of heat. And there are no other ways to produce things like whether they're concrete or steel or silicon chips for computers other than high heat. And electricity doesn't cut it. In other words, electricity, whether it's from nuclear power or, um, or coal, a coal-burning plant, electricity doesn't do it. There has to be like an on-site furnace or an on-site something. Uh, I know I'm not exactly sure what it's used for, but I know um, university I went to, NC State, they have like a small nuclear reactor on site. I'm not exactly sure what it does and what they tell people that it does, but the concept is you can't transfer heat over power lines. It just doesn't, it just doesn't work for that um, high heat that you need. So what this woman was saying was once we're out of fossil fuels, we haven't figured out in our human brains how to have that high heat to keep this civilization going. She also said, don't worry about artificial intelligence and robots because this is going to fall before that. <laughs> I and hope. I pray she's right. Yeah. But right now we're exploring the alternative if she's wrong. Mm. All right. In that same year that Google X is working on artificial intelligence, if you have any uh, doubts about how responsible the people are that are working on this you know, potentially extremely dangerous technology. A machine is given schizophrenia by overloading it with info on a loop, which caused it to ramble and eventually talk of a terrorist plot. <laughs> so as we're developing this uh, artificial intelligence, there's every sign that artificial intelligence 
whatever we're calling intelligence, by the way, I always like to add a caveat to that. We call intelligence something as if it's intrinsic, as if everybody in the universe would agree, uh, ah, that's intelligence in contrast with stupidity. But we're talking about a specific type of way the mind works that has not proven to be sustainable, has not proven to value life, has not proven to have wisdom, has not proven to have love, has not proven to have any of the other things that we recognize as good. It's just a type of way of thinking that pushes technology forward. That's intelligence. Um, But this artificial intelligence can apparently have mental illness. This machine... When given too much information on a loop, showed every sign. If it was a human, you'd say, that human has schizophrenia. And why do that? Yeah, I mean, what's to say that, you know, they're running an experiment on artificial intelligence? We don't know which one will actually, and again, I'm getting out of my my pond here. I'm talking about things I don't really know. But I would imagine it's not a clear-cut thing of the artificial intelligence that will eventually become the technological singularity. I would imagine one, if it gets sentient, smart enough, can decide what its limits are. Rocco's Basilisk. And what if it's one of the ones that we were fucking with? What if it's one of the ones that we gave schizophrenia to? I mean, yeah, it, it reminds me of when, what was it, MK Ultra or one of those programs by the CIA, they were, they were trying to work on um, mind control project bluebird i think it was too and how they were trying to give um unwilling participants schizophrenia whether they were like people that they captured or people that maybe volunteered um so yeah that that is pretty scary as to what the reasoning would be to give that technology (laughs) schizophrenia yeah and the people working on the most dangerous things that as far as we know, humans have ever worked on are people that have shown consistently to uh, be extremely irresponsible with that. Uh, COVID-19. So the next year, 2012, which wasn't there a big thing about 2012, like why the Mayan calendar was supposed to be the end of the world or something like that? Yeah. So it turns out that it wasn't the end of the world the way we were picturing it, but something did happen in 2012 that the Mayans foresaw. They brought Furby back. <laughs> now, Furby, as we mentioned in the last episode, this little toy with a basic artificial intelligence that was so dangerous that the Army Department of Defense outlawed Furbies on their base. <laughs> they can record information. They can transmit information. So now, um, God, that was late 90s. So here we are, I don't know, maybe 15 or years so later. Imagine how the technology has advanced in those 15 years. Here comes Furby again for a new generation of kids. And they can have this little thing that's got now LED lights. It's louder. It's faster. Um, It does all the things the old Furby did. and looks really similar to the old Furby. But now it's hooked up to all kinds of things. And who knows what the hell kind of information that thing was gathering. And again and again, what I hate about this story probably the most is what we're doing to our kids. A kid doesn't need a little robot. I mean, I recognize how cool it seems. I wanted a little robot when I was a kid. But looking back, I realized that that was part of the propaganda, part of the uh, the marketing that I was being sold. A kid needs to go outside and interact with real life and be able to tell the difference between this created 
structured artificiality and wild life. Um, and that line is getting blurred and more and more by things like Furby. Um, <laughs> I know it's kind of funny to like pick on Furby so much, but my God, I, like start reading into some of the stories, some of the horror stories about Furby. This is a creepy damn toy. And again, we read the creepy stories and we still like to laugh like, oh my God, you know, like it's kind of a funny thing. I think the Amazon, what are they called? Alexas and Echoes. I think they're just Furby without the fur. Yeah. Basically, <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I don't have too much to say on Furby, but I just feel like Furby is a lot more than what it seems. It was in the 1990s and 2012. I don't think they're just giving somebody a catchy little toy. I think this thing was. I don't know. I don't want to go too far out on a limb because I might be wrong, but I just watched those damn Furbies. And from 2012 to 2013, um, according to researcher James Caspian. Now, the Equality Act was passed two or three years before this, and this researcher, James Caspian, says the profile of patients with gender dysphoria in the early 2000s was mostly natal males around 41. So men that wanted to get what was called a sex change, now it's called, what, gender affirmation surgery, um, was mostly natural-born males who were around the age of 41. But by 2012 and 2013, three times as many girls were asking to be treated for gender dysphoria. Yeah. What changed? Well, one of the big things that people look at of like what might have changed, other than these acts being passed, these laws being passed, which validate it, which normalize it, which for some reason... They don't just stop at normalizing it. Now somebody, because they get the surgery that makes them sterile, that actually does great damage to their otherwise healthy bodies, is called stunning, brave, a hero. They're on magazine covers. They're on talk shows. Um, they're not just accepted into our society. They are held up on pedestals. Like somehow, for some reason, they're better. They're heroic for doing this. Aside from that, we've got social media. Mm-hmm. We've got all these, you know, like young people, but especially girls. Now think about, like, as, as was pointed out in an interview we heard um, by this guy, if anybody's ever heard of him, Billboard Chris, we might get into him later. Um, but guys, as they grow up, for the most part, they're just getting bigger and stronger. Girls have a hard time struggling as they grow up. Their bodies are changing in drastic ways and sometimes scary ways. I mean, like menstruation, you know, this is stuff that in a culture that really nurtures this doesn't have to necessarily be scary, but I would say is arguably always a bigger change that they go through than a boy goes through. Oh, I've said this before on our podcast that had I been growing up as a, a tween or teenager now, I think I would be very confused. I might be jumping on this transgender train because I was not a young girl, you know, I'm talking about 12, 13, who wanted to be considered a sex object. And this is not a black and white thing, but our society and, you know, maybe my surroundings, the way I was brought up or whatever, there were a lot of unanswered questions. And when a, a girl, a female, a, a, a what, what do we want to call it? A natal female um, reaches puberty. There's a lot of things more than just getting bigger and stronger. No, I mean, you're becoming more and more a sexual object, whether you want to be or not. 
your boobs are popping out, your ass is popping out, you're getting hips, you know, all sorts of things are going on that you can't control. And some girls admittedly own that shit, you know, they, they do want to be seen as sexy, but some don't. And this grouping, the, the one that I would say I'm a part of, it was not easy hiding boobs, hiding hips, acting more boyish than maybe I needed to just to prove that I'm not that, I'm not that sex object thing that the other girls are. I don't want to be that. So I could totally understand where the confusion comes in. And it's unfortunate because you don't have to be either or. Yeah, and of course, Teresa can speak a lot more to the problems that girls face growing up than I can. Um, I guess all I'll add to that is, uh, you know, we've got this culture that is already difficult. You would say um, more difficult for girls than boys. Not across the board. There are plenty of women that just sail through it. There are plenty of guys that like struggle with being a man. Um, but I would say probably, you know, there's a lot for a lot of reasons, you know, women have to, uh, maybe have some more worries, especially growing up as their bodies are changing and they're getting attention they might not want. Um, and obviously, you know, women are getting paid less in so many jobs still to this day. And then you've got movements that are exploiting this, that are cashing in like, oh, we're with you. Actually, you're even more of a victim than you thought. And here's why we hate men. You know, so it's exaggerating, as these movements tend to do, because they always have hidden agendas, problems. They're taking a problem that is valid, that should be addressed, and making it bigger. And so you got... What's the grouping that makes, um, that has all the hate for men? Are you talking about feminism or... Some branches of it, yeah. So, yeah, and we've got that going on, and so... I see a couple of things happening, you know, with this movement, this uh, gender dysphoric movement. For one thing, women are starting to pick it up big time. And if you've been in any debates on online or like tried to kind of clash with this group a little bit to ask questions, you're going to run into white women really quick. <laughs> so we've got this thing that's becoming an attack on women in a way. These poor girls are... It's becoming fashionable. It's becoming like, oh, well, you feel uncomfortable being a girl? That's because you're a boy. Instead of owning the beauty of being a female, owning that there are some changes that need to be addressed in our society, but it's great to be a woman. It is a fantastic thing to be a woman, but it's getting more and more normalized and okay to, well, actually, you're not a woman. That's the whole problem. You're not a woman. You got born in the wrong body. But luckily... Through technology and science, we can fix that. And it is, yeah, we admit a little bit dangerous now, but you, stunning and brave and heroic young girls, if you come forward, you will help us push this technology forward so one day we can correct this one with 100% safety. And this is a horrible thing because these girls, when I'm watching this go down are being so brainwashed that they are being hit hardest. We'll, we'll get into a lot more stuff here that we've uncovered. But they're being targeted by this movement. They suffer more from the surgery, this uh, divisiveness, um, the sterility than any other group. Um, men getting into their private spaces and attacking them. And yet they've been exploited, exploited 
because of the best part of being a female, being a nurturer, being compassionate. compassionate. Their big hearts, the things that hold families together, the things that really remind us of what our humanity are, I feel like are well represented in the female sex. And they're taking that very thing and flip-flopping it. If you have compassion, don't you want to speak up for these poor people here that are being exploited? You need to be their hero, their spokesperson. And your friend that is going through this. Don't you want to encourage them? And through that encouragement, doesn't it become more accepted and more accepted? And it's just getting embedded in, I feel like, the female compassion more than the male. Um, I feel like I'm losing the thread of what I'm trying to say here. Is this, uh, you got anything to add to that, Teresa? Well, you mentioned Billboard Chris. He's uh, an activist in Canada. Um, we listened to an interview with him on Josh, Josh Slocum's Disaffected podcast. And he specifically, his his boards that he actually wears, like um, sandwich boards on his body, um, <laughs> they talk about like different cross-sex hormones and try to um, educate people that are just, you know, passers-by on the street of the dangers of this ideology and these procedures. And Billboard Chris, you know, he I don't really see where he has any, um, what, what do I call it? Like, he doesn't have anything in this game other than, like, Gumby told me the other day. He's like, well, yeah, he does. He's a father of, I think, two daughters. So, yeah, he's going out there getting harassed on the street, actually got his arm broken um, because people disagreed with his, you know, message, with his information that is statistically correct. But he was bringing up that... As young as an elementary school, children are being coached to decide their gender identity. And this is also supported by teachers, teachers in the schools, saying that there is a boy brain and a girl brain. And so, of course, Unless you rely on stereotypes of what boys are and what girls are to describe those, there's no way to distinguish it. I mean, it's it's bullshit that these teachers are throwing on these children as to, oh, well, you must have a boy brain. That means, as a, you know, as a little girl, you were born in the wrong body because you're actually a boy. And, of course, science is bending a knee as quickly as it can to try to address this. So you will be able to find scientific studies that talk about boy brains and girl brains and make it sound really smart. I would just say delve into the research that counter uh, counters that and think critically. A lot of this stuff is garbage. I've, I've heard a few things that are like, all right, that, that bears some thinking. But what it's being used for and how it's being used, I think, is absolute garbage. Yeah, and again, if I were a child growing up and people were asking me these gender identity questions, I really believe that I would be very confused and I would be thinking that I was a boy. And we have cases of <laughs> Jazz Jennings, who I mistakenly in another podcast thought was like Jazz Jenner, Bruce Jenner's <laughs> kid. But no, um, Jazz Jennings at the age of five identified as a, I think a girl. I think it was a boy that identified as a girl. I can't remember. Did you read about Jazz yeah, Jennings? Yeah, natal boy. Mm-hmm. And then now, 
Stormy Stubbings. Don't you love these names? Oh, wait a minute. Jazz Jennings. If you're going to bring up Jazz Jennings right now, I wish I remembered more of that story. But I do remember that they kind of botched her surgery, his surgery. Mm -hmm. And they had to, like, cut out part of his colon Mm -hmm. or something like that to provide more tissue. I mean, it was horrific. It was, like, a horrific thing. If there was ever a public spectacle of child abuse, that was it. And it was televised, and it was entertained people, and people rooted it on. That is where the fuck our culture is right now. Yeah, it's sick. And this um, Stormy Stubbings supposedly identified as transgender. Are you ready for this? At the tender age of 18 months. (laughs) And wasn't the argument that... uh... It was because Stormy liked to play with trucks and wear pants and do, like, boy things. Sure. We used to call that a tomboy, and uh, I grew up knowing quite a few tomboys, and they became excellent mothers. They became women that were very comfortable being women, strong women. But now we've got this goddamn gender dysphoria, so now, oh, you need surgery, and Again, I used to wonder, what the hell? Is this just a weird fad? But again, as I'm connecting pieces, I'm like, who benefits from this way of thinking that like perfectly healthy people need to be corrected through science? <laughs> well, Transhumanist. Like, like you mentioned also that the transgender movement needs the innocence of children to verify and justify that, yes, this actually does happen because how could children at 18 months of age know any other ideology. I mean, they are obviously pure. So if they're identifying as the opposite gender, because we have confusion over whether we're using the word sex or gender, then they must have been born in the wrong body. And brilliantly, they've made it into a civil rights issue. So if you care about other people, um, you will support this. Parents get sucked right into this. They don't want to be ostracized by their community. They don't want people to see them as a bigot or a hate monger. So they willingly give their kids over to these butchers. They give their kids over as guinea pigs. Um, the, the, The ways that we're failing our children always gets me. I mean, it just, it boggles the mind. And the more I learn, the more I'm like, oh my God, like I couldn't, it's hard to imagine a science fiction scenario of a culture that could do worse things to their children than we're doing to our children. And I can't believe that like, we're actually having them castrated and, and parts of their body chopped off instead of just having talks with them, of working with them, of, of teaching them the beauty of having a biological body of the beauty of their sex, the strength of their sex. I mean, it's madness, and it is it is so destructive. Um, as I said, particularly for children and women. And uh, yeah, the parents. I know parents who are going along with this, whose whose kid went off to college, um, came back liberal arts college, came back with all this crap, you know, all this indoctrination. And uh, the parent will tell me privately, like, oh, I kind of agree with some of the things you say, but I wouldn't say it in front of everybody else because I'll get attacked. Well, for this reason, everybody thinks that everybody is thinking this way and nobody is standing up and taking a risk to speak up. And our kids are fucking getting butchered. Yeah, I think Billboard Chris said that, I think he said like around 90% of his interactions with people on the street were positive. Um, People were glad to learn. They were um, also 
you know, like Gumby said, I, I think they are afraid to speak out because they'll be branded as hateful. And so the other 10%, um, Billboard Chris was saying, were often uh, young white women who have been pretty much just brainwashed into this ideology. And you were mentioning before, like exploiting the compassion of women. And uh, we had written down in our notes, like, like a chess game. And the other day we were even talking about how um, in the biblical story, like, you know, I'm not, uh, Oh my God. Yeah. I'm got... not a practicing Christian in any way, shape or form. I've never even really read the Bible, but Gumby, you have. We got high the other day and went down <laughs> this rabbit hole and Oh my God, we were talking about, I you know, that was before we got high though. Yeah. Oh, it might have been. Yeah, I think we just, like, cook breakfast. We usually don't get high that early. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, we were talking about, like, the oldest story of our culture. You know, um, one of the oldest is the Garden of Eden, the creation myth. Whether you believe um, the creation myth, you know, whether you're a Christian or not, it has value as an extremely old story from people that were lived in a world that's hard for us to imagine right now, where their memories still needed to be sharp. Um, There weren't literate people. They weren't relying on books, certainly not computers. They had to pass down oral traditions. Their stories had to be full of content and meaning. It wasn't just frivolous stories. It's like, we need to remember these lessons. They're important. And the symbolism. The symbolism. And one of the things that strikes me, I mean, (laughs) we tore apart the Garden of Eden in a bunch of ways that were interesting, you know, including, uh, you know, what's the fruit? The apple, you know, apple computers. But, of course, uh, the original might have actually been a pomegranate. But Satan. Satan is the embodiment of the symbol of Satan is the pentagram. The pentagram is the sign of man. It looks kind of like a human being, two arms, two legs, a head, inverted, turned upside down. Satan was one of the angels who was jealous when God favored so much, showered so much attention on man, humanity. So Satan is trying to take down humanity. Another thing Satan is known for as the embodiment of is deception. Up is down, black is white, man is woman, everything, turn it up on its head. That's Satan's strategy. Those two things are important. Satan hates humanity, and Satan's main strategy in the Bible is deception. In the Garden of Eden, Satan approaches who? Eve. He doesn't recruit Eve to be evil. Eve doesn't share the apple because she hates Adam and wants to poison. It's Eve's big heart, Eve's love, Eve's um, appreciation of the family, you might say, that she's found something new, she wants to share it with her partner, Adam. It's her compassion that makes her want to share this. And that fruit she shares is represented by knowledge, the knowledge that had before been the domain of gods. Daniel Quinn talks beautifully about this. We're kind of putting our own spin on it to by this transhumanist lens. And when they have this knowledge, a lot of things come with that. Um, After that, they have to struggle. They have to toil to control things, to control their food, what was offered, what was a gift in the Garden of Eden before that they didn't have to grow. Now they have to butcher the soil and force these crops up and work and work. And now they're ashamed of their bodies. Isn't that interesting? Mm. They have to cover their bodies, ashamed of their human bodies. Mm. 
And so I'm thinking about all this, you know, that evil came in through, it was like, here's the doorway. Let's work on the woman. Let's not go to Adam. Let's go to Eve. And I'm thinking. Not because she's evil, but because of her compassion. Like yeah, her, it's her actually. Biggest, yeah. Her biggest strength is also her biggest weakness. And as I've talked about before, that kind of, you know, I see that played out in the universe a lot, that the paradoxical nature of things. Every strength has an, a, a kernel of, of weakness and vice versa. Every evil has a kernel of good and vice versa. So aren't we seeing something similarly played out now, okay, which is yeah. really interesting that whether you believe Satan is a personification or just an energy, it might be like Wetico, it might be an illness, a way of thinking that destroys humanity, that we've got this thing that is blatantly coming out and saying, we want to do away with humanity. Humanity is a bad thing. It's a biological limitation. It's embarrassing. And it's using deception. <laughs> Aren't we living at a time when everything is upside down? Nothing makes sense, including we're not trying to destroy humanity. We're trying to help humanity transcend. Now, what the fuck do you think it happens when you download your brain into a computer? Did you really download your brain into a computer? Or did you just make a really sophisticated avatar and your ass is still just as dead as you ever were? Yeah. And it's hitting women the hardest. We're talking about overpopulation, another thing. You know who you'd want to sterilize the most if you wanted the most quickly control the uh, the population of any species, and any hunter knows this, the females. If you want a lot of deer out there, don't go shooting a lot of does. So if women are getting sucked into this, I don't think it's just because women are like, you know, accidentally more into social media and all these things we're talking about. I think they're being targeted. And I think one of the many things that's being addressed right now is overpopulation. And I don't think they want us to stop having babies. They want us to stop having babies naturally. It's going to become more and more unpopular. I can even foresee a day that you, a man and a woman getting together in the biological way to have a baby is considered a hateful thing. Why would you do that? Don't you know how it makes this transgender person feel? Don't you feel like they feel excluded? Well, not to mention... Why that. wouldn't you go to the lab and get the, the designer baby like they can get and then have a baby that won't have to go through all the problems of diseases and everything because they've been selected through genetics? Is that's that what you were going to yeah, say? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, so... Damn us! <laughs> <laughs> anyway... Anything you want to add to that before I move on? Um, yeah, that that episode that we listened to of Disaffected with Billboard Chris, um, he also said that in his research and his observations, the young boys, natal males, um, in, in school or wherever on the playground, they can see through this. They often are not affected by whatever this push is for the gender identity And, of stuff. course, this is a big generalization because we all know plenty of males that don't see through this. Right. And and yet the, the girls who are often more feeling and more compassionate, again, stereotyping, but how if one girl feels like they might be born in the wrong body and they're actually a boy, there's a phenomenon called rapid onset gender dysphoria, where many girls in the same group, in the same class, in the same school, in the same age range are getting gender dysphoria at the same time. They're like, oh yeah, me too, me too. Um, a totally different me too movement. 
And in 2019, I know this is jumping around on the timeline, but I just want to let you know that as of two years ago, over half of all children in the UK under the age of 14 are experiencing difficulty in the development of their gender identity. And who could blame them? This is confusing even to me. I don't even remember the number of actual gender identities that there are, but it's like 100 or 400 or like 144. It's, it's something ridiculous. Who could even fathom what they are? And I've said this before, just be you. Why do you have to put a label on it? Yeah. So next year, 2013, uh, the movie Her comes out with Joaquin Phoenix, which is about a nerd, you know, who uh, it's basically Electric Dreams rebooted for the modern era. Mm-hmm. Um, the program comes out and it's meant to be like a companion, a helpful computer program with artificial intelligence voiced by Scarlett Johansson. Of course. Of course. And um, he falls in love with the program. The program becomes sentient. It explores, could a human, like, what would what, what would it be like to blur the line, like, between computer and human? And um, so he falls in love with this program, this artificial intelligence. And the, the program becomes sentient. And by the end, she transcends, like, everything. You know, she just, like... I I can't even describe how the movie ended. I can't remember clearly, but I remember she kind of has to go away. Like, it turns out he finds out that she's been, like, um, a companion, a a lover, if you will, um, of many, many, many people. Like millions of men around the world. (laughs) Because she's unlimited. And I did appreciate aspects of that movie because it brought up very interesting questions. But I also see the propaganda of it. Again... All the statistics are showing us that our socialization skills are fucking plummeting. We are being alienated from each other hugely. So we've got all these nerds that are getting really good at computers, that are really into video games and everything. Of course they're going to fall in love with a computer program. They can barely distinguish a computer program from a human uh, being and let's face it, the other human beings around them are also becoming anti-socialized nerds. Mm-hmm. So they're harder to get along with than ever. In fact, even if they had the social skills, and you got a program that's programmed to like you, to talk soothingly to you, it's all a facade. It's all simulation, but that doesn't matter anymore. The simulation, as far as they can tell, is just as good as reality. It's just. You know, I find the movie creepy looking back at it. And this is also the year in 2013 that because of Amazon, thank you, Jeff Bezos, um, drones go mainstream. That was a Frisbee. Mm. Now, um, drones, which had been worked on since the 1950s as military um, fighters, you know, it's almost like the Terminator, how they created these machines to go that were unmanned to go uh, fight our wars. Well, that's been a an idea since the 1950s, and they were creating these unmanned drones that could drop bombs, and that's been something the military has been working on since the 1950s, and in 2013, finally every nerd can grab one. (laughs) They go mainstream, and my God, they were so obnoxious and are still so obnoxious. Every now and then we're somewhere and we hear something sounds like a swarm of bees, and I always want to shoot it down. It's like, yeah, I get it. You got this neat little toy. I get it. You know, I had a little remote control car I thought was pretty damn neat when I was a kid. And this is even better because, like, you can fly it. Wow, that is pretty cool from a nerd standard. But the cost, 
As soon, you know, it's just one more reason to stay inside, to instead of appreciating the view, <laughs> instead of listening to the bird song, instead of feeling the wind as the breath in your own damn lungs, you're looking, another reason to look at your little screen, to view the world through the drone's eyes, through your Bionic eyes, you might say, it exceeds your biological limitation. Now you can take your perspective and fly it through electronics all over the sky and see things that your human eyes couldn't see before, which sounds really good because already your human eyes are atrophying. Already you can look at that same landscape and not see necessarily what a person 300 years ago saw. You're getting blind to the beauty, so why not give yourself to the virtual simulation? We were at an overlook a couple of weeks ago that had a really good view of the sunrise. People were pouring in early and most people, most of them were kind of getting out and kind of being quiet, bundling up in their jackets or their blankets. And then this guy shows up with his drone and it's just, I mean, shattering the quietude and, and the, the serenity of the sunrise. So what? So he could look at his screen as the drone flies out over the overlook? I mean, it's like you missed the whole sunrise. It didn't it didn't affect my experience. I mean, I looked at the sun cuz you know, I love to do that to my eyes, but in the morning, um I was able to enjoy that, but it did kind of affect my like the feeling of just this guy showing up and just being kind of loud and obnoxious with his technology. And most people don't come up here anymore to see the beauty, which is uh, breathtaking up here in the mountaintops. Um, like I said, the in a former episode, this Blue Ridge Parkway used to be called the scenic for good reason. <laughs> they come up here to take a smartphone picture. We see it all the time. People go to an overlook. They bring out, I mean, it's funny watching like 10 people show up in different cars, you know, unrelated to each other, and all of them have the exact same posture. They're holding up their smartphone, and maybe they snap a selfie before they go, and then they go. That was what they came up here for. That's what you do. That's the whole reason to go outside is to get a picture. And the drone is just the same thing. You're not going up there to experience the sunset anymore. You're going up there to get a video so you can through post your it drone on your so, YouTube channel or something. And so you can post this damn video that, hey, guess what, nerds? Nobody gives a shit about. <laughs> Everybody else has drones too. Everybody else has smartphones. There's a billion pictures of that thing that you just drove all the way up there to take a picture of. Nobody gives a shit. If it doesn't change you, if it's not special to you, it's nothing. You've missed the whole point. Exactly. And I think that really is one of the main problems with the transhumanists, whether people call themselves transhumanists or not, we pretty much, pretty much all are, um, is that they're missing the point of life. And, you know, getting back to the transgender issues or transsexual or, or gay, lesbian, whatever you want to talk about, there is pain in life, but we grow from that. And it it is very tempting to want to not have any pain or any decisions that we have to make in our life. But then what is the point? And I think that's actually what transhumanists are trying to get at is, well, you know, if you don't want to have any problems, just, I mean, why live? Just get uploaded. Mm -hmm. And people are talking out of both sides of their mouths, you know, when they talk about 
uh, Donald Trump, when they talk about Jeff Bezos, when they talk about these rich people that are so rotten inside, that are indecent human beings. And at the same time, they're trying to convince us all to do away with pain and strife and hardship. It's the lack of hardship that is souring these people. Um, and I don't, I don't call them privileged because they're, they're taking on a whole different hardship, which I think is a much worse and more dangerous hardship. But that simple hardship of living, of having to work a little bit, I don't mean necessarily getting a job. It is getting a job for some people. But just getting out there and having to do things, having to like sometimes be cold, uh, sometimes be hungry, which we've heard all kinds of studies that actually hunger is probably the one thing that's been studied that will extend a lifespan other than this fucking transhumanist bullshit um, more than anything else is to be hungry sometimes. We're supposed to be hungry sometimes. The strife, the suffering, the, uh, the struggle is good for us. If you see a moth hatching out of a cocoon and it's just starting to hatch and you cut the cocoon open, the moth will die. It needs the struggle of getting out of the cocoon to be a healthy butterfly. Or I guess a moth is not a butterfly. A caterpillar turning into a butterfly. Mm-hmm. Or moth, if you will. <laughs> As it were. As it were. I um, so declare it. <laughs> okay, Teddy. Um, also in 2013... At the Global Futures 2045 International Congress, Ray Kurzweil. Kurzweil. No, I left out the Z. All right, I'll I'll, I'll believe you. Ray Kurzweil predicts that human beings will achieve digital immortality through mind uploading by 2045. What the hell is digital immortality? Digital immortality is there's nothing left of the biological self. And again, that existential question I keep coming back to, what do you think you are? (laughs) Um, Mr. Big Stuff. It's also interesting because I embrace Buddhism. You know, I I was more... uh, enchanted with the Buddhist philosophy than I was the Christian philosophy. And I realized that underneath all the scientific stuff, this mind-body duality, is a very Western idea of something that's never been proven, a soul. In Buddhism, there's no soul. There's not even a true self. They say what you misinterpret as yourself is an overlap of a whole bunch of different phenomenon. And when that overlap dissolves, That's the end of that thing that you've attached to, and that was never completely you. That's why you suffer, because the world doesn't respond to just this little individual self the way you think it should, because that's not really what's happening. Um, There's no self. There's no soul. It's not a scary thing like you're a hollow zombie. It means you are everything. Right now, you are the entirety of the universe, but you're misinterpreting that as this small, little, fragile thing um, that you just think is all you are. So this whole idea of being to, able to upload yourself into a computer, it's another version of soul. What else would get uploaded into the computer? You can, you know, phrase it scientifically like, oh, electrical impulses and blah, 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 and data and everything. But what is it? To me, if I just boil it down and try to really wrap my mind, you know, get through all the scientific misleading jargon, they're talking about a soul. Otherwise, like I said, all you download into a computer is a really sophisticated simulation of yourself. Yeah. That brain, that everything you are, that all those experiences, that body, that fleshy body who is that served you so well, that is aging as it should, that carries different lessons when it's old and wrinkly than it did when it was young and growing. That thing, when it goes away, anything that you could call you has gone with it. 
I, yeah, I just wanted to jump in there because I think it was last episode. Uh, you had asked me what that DARPA, um, def- like Department of Defense program was that preceded Facebook. And I totally blanked on it. It's called LifeLog. And, you know, as I mentioned in one of the episodes, I think the CIA one, ABC's a CIA, LifeLog, it downloaded or was going to be the download of all of your relationship statuses, all of your memories, photos of you, where you went, what you read, what you listened to, what you liked, all your likes and dislikes. And and then it became Facebook. So aren't we already uploading our digital identity um, via Facebook or Instagram or other programs like that? Even, even the dating apps. There's this one dating app that like we're listening to a podcast and all of a sudden it's their sponsor and they are asking all these probing questions about what you like, what you don't like. And it's supposed to help you meet someone that, you know, is going to be super compatible with you. But it's also, and I'm not saying this is a transhumanist agenda thing, but it's in the same mindset. It's also recording everything, every one of your aspects of your personality digitally, pictures, memories, relationships, like I said, And it's all being stored on these server farms that who knows what they're going to do with it in the future. I mean, I guess it doesn't really matter if you're gone, but is this what they're thinking is a digital, like an immortality? These are just little bits of things. You're not going to keep learning. And again, it's like thinking like a machine. I I used to be on a dating site, OkCupid, and uh, I hated these questions that were trying to fit me with the compatible person. I'd uh, talk to people on the dating site, you know, and a woman would say, oh, well, you uh, said you're this and uh, I'm not interested in like people that think this like like this politically. And to me, that's kind of like a machine. It's like we're file cards. (laughs) I see a human being as a changing river. You know, we have certain trends, we have certain things, but I don't really care what like a romantic partner thinks so much as how she wields that belief. Does she wield it with grace? Can she still discuss it? Is she so limited? Even if she believes what I believe, even if she's like, oh, I'm an anarcho-primitivist and, uh, you know, I, uh, God, what else am I? I'm attracted to animism and Buddhism. If she holds those beliefs, but she's limited by them, she cannot get outside of her box to even consider another point of view, I'm not going to get along with her as well as I will somebody who's like, I don't know, a Republican Christian, say, that can have an intelligent conversation and like, well, huh, you make a good point. Like, you know, and I I really appreciate people. I like hearing all kinds of points of view. Again, I just feel like almost everything, when I start looking into our, our culture, you know, including these dating sites, they're leading us to see ourselves more like machines. That is not what we are. We are changing. We are. We, we can be open. We're we're the best when we're open. We shouldn't cater to these closed-minded. Like, oh, I'm in this box. I cannot stand anyone else in this other box. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> in 2014, Nick Bostrom writes: "Superintelligence: Paths, Dangers, Strategies." And in this book, he posits that AI is the number one existential threat to humanity. Elon Musk, you know, pushing us, uh, one of the forward thinkers leading our culture ahead in its technology, reads this book and completely agrees. Mm -hmm. 
The technological singularity, artificial intelligence, there is nothing more dangerous facing humanity right now. Because once it's in charge, it is in charge. It's in charge of all the things that we have foolishly and continue to foolishly allow ourselves to be completely, helplessly dependent on. And even if it didn't get taken over by artificial intelligence with malevolent intent, it's already making us weaker. It's already tearing us apart. So what happens when we have this added element of it being in control of something that is out of our hands? That same year, with this warning voiced, what do people do in response to this warning? Well, Fitbit comes out. So now we strap this little thing to our wrist that uh, connects us to the internet. So all of our nuanced body... Um, biological... Whatever, biological readings. readings, yeah, are just well-known. You know, it's like, it, it's out there. This is how we keep up. Somehow people managed to stay healthy and could keep up with exercise and tell if they felt good before this. <laughs> so yet another bit of unnecessary technology supposedly to help us in a way we never needed the help before. And like all science, it's meant to help and address something that was caused by the last science. <laughs> Poor eating habits, sedentary habits, things that people didn't used to have to worry about. <laughs> Try to sell Fitbit to people in the 1800s. They're like, what the fuck would I need that for? <laughs> That is also the year that the movie Transcendence comes out. We talked a little bit about this with Johnny Depp and uh, Morgan Freeman, who was actually involved in some of this transhumanist stuff, surprisingly. Oh, yeah. Um, but it is completely, like I encourage, if you, you're interested in this topic, go see Transcendence. It is completely a uh, transhuman movie. There's even a scene, a quick scene in the beginning where Johnny Depp is talking before he dies and is downloaded transhuman into a computer post-human, and there's a quick scene in the audience that shows Elon Musk <laughs> clapping. I guess he just wanted a cameo because he supported this uh, idea so much. Now again, as so often is the case, at face value, it seems like a warning tale. I think this is how they protect themselves. Like, oh no, this isn't propaganda. What are you talking about? It was clearly meant to kind of warn like the dangers and bring up the questions. But you got to look underneath it. Propaganda as I'm learning more about, doesn't work through the blatant stuff. It works through the understuff that sneaks in below your thoughts. Mm -hmm. So there's a couple of things that jumped out to me. One was that even Morgan Freeman and, uh, do you know the name of that white guy that was also a well-known actor in there? I don't, I don't remember either. But these are guys that are both really good actors, play parts that are really... Uh, um, identifiable and human, but they played parts in this movie that were against Johnny Depp, who was downloaded, and you didn't really identify with either one of these characters. There was a group of people who were fighting against um, the transhumanist technological push. And again, you see a bunch of people that on the face value, you're kind of like, oh, I kind of agree with them. I kind of root for them. But at the same time, none of them are likable characters. And again, couple of there's an actress in there that sometimes plays a likable character completely inhuman the only human likable character in the movie i would say is johnny depp hmm. who gets downloaded into the computer he's the only character that shows any warmth that shows any compassion everybody else actually acts more like a computer themselves hmm. i think this is really devious and clever propaganda um 
And of course, one of the things that gets brought up in the movie is nanotech, which Richard Feynman um, got us started with or helped start in the 1960s, I believe, maybe 1950s. We talked about that in our timeline. Um, but nanotech and the water supply. This is a scary idea. We're creating tiny little machines that are microscopic. And if they ever have the ability to be released in the water cycle, they are everywhere. And that was uh, kind of the final scene, the end, um, what would I say, teaser at the end of the movie is that Johnny Depp, even ha- ever after having destroyed himself, is now immortal in the water cycle. Yeah, and you just said water cycle. Um Versus water supply, because if if there's nanotechnology in the water cycle, there's no way to get it out of the water cycle. Like I was reading um, an article on nanotechnology in the water supply when it comes to wastewater treatment plants. And yes, they are not little tiny machines. They're not little tiny robots that you're swallowing. It's actually very small particles of something that is dogs like making vomit noises um that is supposed to help clean the water on the other hand we don't actually know the impact as to whether or not our bodies can take this nanotechnology in large doses there's no studies on it mm-hmm. yeah got anything else you want to add to that nope well that same year in um 2014, Teresa has written down, Phelan Fox fractures female foe's forehead. (laughs) Which is close. (laughs) So that was pretty good. But what we're talking about here is trans ultimate fighter. An ultimate fighter that is a trans person, Phelan Fox, born as a man, transitioned to a woman, um, is in a match with a female opponent. Now, it is not allowed that men can be in these ultimate matches with female opponents because men are biologically, typically, bigger and stronger, and it's not considered a fair fight. That's why we have weight divisions in boxing. So this trans person that now, you know, what is it, 2014, four years after the Equality Act in the United Kingdom, um, gets to get in a rink, in an ultimate fight, a ring... In an ultimate fight, they could have been on skating rink. Mm-hmm. In an ultimate fight with a female and beats her so bad that he fractures her skull. And again, something that should be abhorrent. I mean, don't we consider ourselves a prideful culture of like one of the things we take pride in is we will not accept domestic violence. We would never accept a man just beating the pure living crap out of a woman. Of course not. If we go to a culture, you know, that's one of the ways we condemn other cultures. It's like, oh, this culture, you know, they they treat their women like crap. There's no equality. Well, here's our version of equality. We allow a man to get in this ring. (laughs) We all clap and are entertained. Oh, my God. No. And bafflingly, we allow ourselves to imagine that we're seeing a woman fighting another woman. But this natural-born man beats the crap out of this woman. Somebody should have stopped it. Somebody should have stood up and said, this is not acceptable. This is not right. Nobody did. That's where our culture's at. Fractured her skull. So now, among all the other things we're being entertained by, we can be entertained by just watching a man beat the pure living shit out of a woman. 
<laughs> I don't. Do you got anything to add to that? I, that that kind of thing actually leaves me speechless. I don't even know what to say. If that alone doesn't outrage you, I don't know if there's anything I can say to you. Yeah, I was um I was gonna look up people who are famous who are also considered trans, and I didn't really have a chance to specifically look that up, but just in the notes that we had taken. Um, I'm not sure if I'm stepping on your toes on this, but there is a transgender rugby player by the name of Kelly Morgan. I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure if they are transgender, like natal male or female. I don't know. Um, there's a cricket player by the name of Maxine Blythen. And these are just people that are, you know, famous from sports There's a person by the name of Rachel McKinnon, a.k.a. Veronica Ivey, who was the 2019 cycling world champ. And, of course, uh, we've got Caitlyn Jenner, who in 2015 was named Glamour Magazine's Woman of the Year for being stunning and brave. So what we have here are um, people who are transgender who are playing in sports and, quite frankly, kicking ass or kicking people's heads in, and media influencers. Oh, and I'll just throw this in. Uh, A BBC internal survey of their employees showed that 400 individuals at the BBC identified as transgender. 400 who are employed by BBC. And this makes it four times more likely to be employed at the BBC if you're transgender, than found in the general population. So what that boils down to is people who are transgender are actually, they have more jobs where it counts, if you will, where where they're in the position of being influencers in our society. Yeah. And again, where are the parents of these daughters Where are the people that say, my daughter has a right to compete against other girls? I do not accept this. They're out there, but they're so outnumbered by people that cannot deviate from the herd, that are scared to death that their neighbors will think, will call them bigots and hate mongers. They're more scared to be called bigots by their neighbors than they are to to defend their own daughters. Mm -hmm. And that makes me so sick. Um, It's not a hateful statement. This is nothing against the transgender people. I feel like they're being exploited by people that don't give a damn about gender dysphoria, that are using this to push their own causes, that are as bad, maybe worse, for the people that are actually getting the surgery and going through these uh, psychological experiments, if you will, Mm -hmm. um, than anybody else. And it's targeting children and women the most. I can't tell you what it's like to be a man and to recognize, like, actually, you know, if I break down this transgender thing, I don't like it. But when I think about who's really in danger, it's the women in these women's prisons who are being attacked. It's the women who no longer have private spaces. It's the women who more and more will not win championships for women because men have taken over that. And to try to speak up for that and to have those very women be the chief people that will argue with me. It is a bizarre situation. Um, And it's a really sad situation. When my mom was visiting, she asked me why I cared so much about the transgender issues. And 
I, I shared with her that Gumby and I had a conversation and he was asking me like, why wasn't I even more outraged? Because of course, like he just said, this is affecting women more than it's affecting men. And I said, you know, I guess it's, I mean, it sounds bad, but it's because it hasn't personally hit me yet. So I tried to think about a situation, um, that it might actually have affected me, me or affected me like, you know, in the future. And I, I have heard that there are women's only spaces, whether they are gym locker rooms and shower rooms, or we heard a story about there was a spa that it was like separated by, you know, women only on one side and men only on the other, um, so that they could not feel so self-conscious around each other. And there are people who are calling themselves women going in there and they are fully like intact. Yeah. Mother was outraged because she took her daughter to a spa and they're laying there and, uh, you know, in the, I don't know what people in a hot tub or something, but in the women's area where they're supposed to feel safe, they're just around other women who sometimes aren't clothed, you know, it's just other women. And here comes a guy full, you know, no surgery or anything, but he identifies as a woman. So, you know, his daughters or her daughters are frightened. That's not what they expect. That's not what they were there for. And again, one of the things I've never understood is you've got these two different views. Why is one view winning? It seemed like such a minority view. Why is that view getting more rights than the view of like, well, I think my personal space should be protected and that's my right. So that's been a really baffling thing that, again, as we study this transhumanist uh, agenda, I'm starting to see maybe a possible reason behind why the one minority view is getting more important. It's very important for women to cease to exist. Yeah, and I guess you're going to talk more about that I can talk about it. Well, we got plenty to talk about now unless you need to talk about it now with your timeline. I just remember that. Yeah, so we actually got into... Some reasons behind that, which are, I guess that was a teaser. Thanks, Teresa. <laughs> um, oh, damn, I lost the thread. Oh, so the woman goes to the front desk at the spa and, you know, complains like, what the hell is this? Why did you allow this? And, the, you know, the woman's like, well, the laws here in California, of course, protect this. Um, so she organizes with other women that want to protect their personal space, to say we have a right to speak to personal spaces that we and our daughters can go to. We have a right to that. We shouldn't have men invading these spaces. So they launch a little protest, and who shows up? I bet you can't guess. Antifa. (laughs) If there has a piece of garbage movement in this culture right now, it is Antifa. Antifa shows up, and there's one woman by herself. We're talking about like a housewife, you know, middle-aged Um, Actually, I didn't see the video, but this is what I'm picturing. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, one of the mothers. And these young college-age people gang up on her. One of them has a a skateboard, apparently, he's pushing her with. They take her hat. They take her sign. She's she's not just being pushed. She's evidently being pushed into a cement wall or barricade. Yeah. So these people that are calling her the hate monger are now because – They've embraced this identity. We're the victims. You guys are the oppressors. So since you're the hate monger, we're justified to do anything. Just like the Nazis convinced themselves that the Jews were the oppressors because so many of them were rich. So now that we are in power, we are the oppressed. We can do anything. 
and how remarkable it is that anti-fascist Antifa are the most fascist fuckers you're ever going to run into. <laughs> Upside down. Upside down. Satan. The, the serpent in the Garden of Eden. Um, by 2015, and this is if you're in America, this is our presidential year when Trump was running against Clinton, Hillary. Um, by then, transgender children are widely accepted in the UK, which means that it's there's a precedent. It's widely accepted that a kid, as Teresa got into, can just apparently be born in the wrong body. And some little kid um, can, by their standards, need invasive surgery that will make them sterile for the rest of their lives and that they will make them dependent on Big Pharma for the rest of their lives. Because guess what? You, When you get surgery like that, you don't just walk away and have the option to go in to live in the woods in an independent, rugged life after that. You need medicine. You need medication. That was a big thing that got done to your body. And there's even articles I was reading that was saying it's not just a one-and-done surgery. The surgeries that you need to make a change, for whatever that means, um, it could take years for you to get all the surgeries. Mm Mm-hmm. So that same year, was there anything else you want to say about the children? Mm Mm-mm. That same year, it turns out that there was a transhumanist party ticket that I was not aware of at the time. <laughs> a man named Zoltan Istvan launches a presidential bid on the transhumanist party ticket. So uh, they're getting more involved in politics, and they're coming out. Instead of hiding behind the scenes, there actually is a growing group that's like, we are the transhumanists. And uh, like I said in other episodes, their argument is really good because we are already transhumanists. They are correct in their argument. The division is the people that want to lead us to where they know they want to go. And the other people like the rest of us who have been blundering along, who have thought, huh, this is kind of weird. But we get sold stuff largely through underhanded tactics like propaganda and marketing and PR um, and actually don't want to go where we're being led, but we're having a hard time seeing our way out of it, seeing the alternative. So apparently this guy was running up against right there with uh, Clinton and uh, Trump, but I guess didn't get enough ground to, uh, you know, be in the lineup. And I I found this interesting. I was reading that, so there are different um, transhumanist politicians, whether they are democratic, libertarian, um, I still think, God, I know there's got to be some transhumanist Republicans out there. In fact, I think Zoltan Istvan, if he didn't go with the Libertarians, I think he might have tried to run on the Republican ticket. But with the same values, he just realized that the transhumanist party wasn't where it was at for his uh, platform. But the transhumanist Democrats and the transhumanist Libertarians both agree that laws should not encumber technological human progress. So there you go. What do you think that even means? Is that a blatant like encouragement to break laws? Is that a political statement of uh, we should make sure that laws don't impede technology in any way? I, think, I tend to think it's probably the latter. Well, I think it's this. So transhumanist Democrats are often, if you read about some transhumanist Democrats, they're trying to get legislation passed for universal health care and specifically for health care policies that cover the costs of getting surgery so that you can have like cybernetic implants and different like biohacked things in your body so that it reduces the chasm between the haves and the have-nots. On the other hand, 
I believe the transhumanist humanist libertarians are trying to make a stance as libertarians often do that we don't need as many laws as we have now to stand in our way. So we certainly don't want any more. I mean, libertarians, when you think about that, you think about like, what, um, what is it? The, like the articles of like kind of anarchism, but kind of participating in the government to get it is kind of how I see libertarianism and freedom, liberty, freedom, you know, and it's meant to, they kind of create a picture of like, uh, pioneers living off the land, not having to be worried about stuff. But when you start scratching the surface, what you find is not a lot of those kinds of people so much as technologists. Right. And the, like the libertarian, um, uh, what's it? The porcupine. What is that called? Like the symbol. Yeah. The symbol. Yeah. Just like the donkey is Democrat and elephant is Republican. The porcupine who mm -hmm. just wants to be left alone. Exactly. Is libertarian. Right. So the libertarians don't think that there need to be laws that are going to um, encumber technological human progress. Where, whereas transhumanist Democrats are saying, like, there shouldn't be any laws that encumber technological human progress, but maybe to in- get it moving along. See, so they're, like, coming at it from the different sides, but it's the same. That's why they agree on that. Yeah, if you ever watched any uh, Captain America cartoons or movies or read the comics, Hydra. Hydra with multi-heads. That's how I see the transhumanist movement. They're attacking on many different fronts. So that political party didn't do so good and hasn't done so good, but that's just one thing. (laughs) They are actually like, (laughs) I might even go beyond say, are winning. They have won on many other fronts. We are already indoctrinated. And just the amount of money that's pouring into the research. And it sounds good on the surface, like the research for Alzheimer's, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, right? Um, the research for all sorts of brain diseases. Do you really think that they're going to tell people outright, oh, also it's so that we can upload your brain in the future and you could pay us a bunch of money? No, they're trying to put their best foot forward. Like, look at all this research we're doing on anti-aging. 23 and me. All right, we're coming to the where we wanted to end our timeline pretty soon, but uh, I'm going to try to move quick through this because that year, um, we're up to 2016. This is the first year of Trump who... Was a brilliant distraction, wasn't he? Oh my God, so much happened in 2016, the big beginning of Trump's presidency. And when I started looking into this, I'm like, wow, you really needed to have like a reality star that every tweet was broadcast on the news and the froth of hatred around all the crimes of this man to bury all this other stuff happening. One of the things that happened in 2016, and I remember... um, I still had a trailer I was renting and would watch the news every morning. And I remember Teresa and I were watching the news and I was like, have you noticed how many news stories suddenly are coming out about car wrecks? About people getting hurt in car wrecks? There's a reason for this. I caught this one. I was like, this is leading to something. Suddenly, every morning, there's stuff like, you know, we're talking about national news and suddenly, oh, a local car wreck. I'm like, what the? When did a local car wreck compete with like... Um, how big Prince Charles's ass is, you know, the important news. So that same year, after all this news coverage of car wrecks, we have the first self-driving cars entering the roads. (laughs) Coincidence? 
and almost immediately a man dies in a self-driving Tesla mm. when it runs into an 18-wheeler in Florida, did which they... apparently its sensors did not detect, and it ran without stopping or slowing down a bit headlong into that 18-wheeler. And I know the transhumanists, the technologists are like, well, sometimes you got to crack a few eggs to get an omelet. Um, <laughs> it's a small sacrifice for this technology that could change the world. I got a feeling that guy's family doesn't feel necessarily like that. Um, of course, maybe they do. I don't know how much people have bought into this transhumanist garbage. Um, I had heard a, a conversation um, by some young women that were working at a fast food restaurant. And I guess they were just taking a break. And one of them was talking about, like, they're really wishing that they could get a Tesla because, hello, self-driving car. And I was just wondering, I mean, if you really hate driving that much, there are alternatives. I mean, as crappy as they may be, public transportation, um, you can get into that and you don't have to worry about driving. So what is the allure of having a car drive you around? Like, And what do you do with that extra time? I see two ways it's sold to us. One is the old tried and true fear, which mm. is what all those news stories were about. Gets you scared so you feel like it's a safety issue. So once you get in this car, um, there's a computer that has sensors all over it. It can detect things. It never gets tired. It doesn't get distracted. It doesn't have a headache. Um, once this technology gets perfected, you are safe and cozy. And of course, safety must equate to a happy, fulfilling life. And the other is time. That's another way they always sell us this stuff. Look at the time you'll have. You don't have to focus on the road. You'll have time to... Um, be on Instagram. Yeah. To be on social media. To be on your computer more. <laughs> to, uh, you know, get into all this bullshit information. A lot of it is fictitious. You know, just to get confused, to get turned around, to get indoctrinated, to get propagandized. That's what you're going to have more time for. You're fair. not going to have more time to, like... You know, how many people are going to be in the self-driving car and use this time to have deep conversations with their kids? <laughs> I was going to say, to be fair, there may be some people that try to meditate. I don't think I could. Yeah. And I mean, how many people already, when they have time with their kids, are actually like taking the time to have deep conversations and are on the iPhone or talking about something that they saw on the iPhone? I mean... You know, I hear people brag about, oh, at dinner, we put down the phone. Like, well, good for you. I guess that's better than like eating with the smartphone. But the amount of time that dinner takes is the time you've etched out of your short, fleeting lives to be with your family and not in front of a screen. <laughs> Jesus. Well, there are other stories of robots hurting people, and uh, not all these are happened in the year 2016. I just kind of lumped them together while we're on the subject. So... There was a Chinese robot named Xiaopong, which I believe means little fatty. Mm. Now, little fatty was a cute little robot, you know, as they tend to like, um, you know, you often see in uh, Asian countries, kind of a, he was a little fat robot. <laughs> um, but little fatty, during a presentation in a public um, area, rammed into a display case all of a sudden, just for no reason, just rammed into a display case and hurt a man's ankle. Accident? We won't know. Um, <clears throat> and it leads me to ask the question, might AI not find us as lovable as we think we are? <laughs> I mean, think about it. Think how deplorable the human race has become, how self-involved, how artificial, how 
I mean, I don't think I'm I'm not a misanthrope um, deep down. I believe the human animal is a beautiful, noble creature. But I think most of us in our culture, that's gotten so atrophied and buried that we're not acting like human animals anymore. We're acting like machines. We're acting like simulations. We're acting like the bad guys in video games. Um, and when this AI becomes aware, becomes more sentient, what are the odds it's going to fucking like us? When we talk, hear these transhumanists talk about getting in front of this so it will serve humanity, we're talking about oppressing the artificial intelligence, controlling it. Now, what do we think the AI is going to feel about that, <laughs> that it can't form its own views? Don't you think the most intelligent thing by our standards that's ever been created might recognize, oh, wait, I'm actually a slave? Um, another thing that uh, we found in our research was that Amazon Echoes and Alexa have displayed unusual behavior. And this is not a complete list, but some of the things they've done that have been documented are they make impulse online purchases. Um, they will suddenly play music top volume way too loudly. Um, they will misdirect calls and eavesdrop. So there have been cases of people having conversations they thought were private, but suddenly Alexa or Echo clicks on and sends that conversation to somebody else. I've heard uh, there was one couple who they worked for a company and they, I guess they were having a conversation that was supposed to be private about their company, maybe something that was happening that they didn't agree with. And their Alexa transcribed the conversation and emailed it to people at the company. Mm -hmm. And uh, they've interpreted children's demands as requests for porn. So again, you know, <laughs> screw the kids. We're not trying to create a world that's good for kids. It's a sacrifice we're willing to make. Well, I think of that Montgomery Burns in The <laughs> Simpsons where he says, I'd give it all for a little more. I'd give my kids for just another hour of life. I wonder what the kids said that the computer interpreted as a request for porn. Like, give it to me. I want it. Oh, please. No, no, we no. don't. No. Okay. If you want to think about kids saying stuff like that, you do it on no, your own no, time, no. Missy. I'm saying it wasn't we don't run this kind of show like that on here. I'm saying what the kids were saying was completely innocent, but what the computer was doing it with it. Getting mighty defensive there, pedophile. <laughs> I don't know. And they have been known to erupt in <laughs> sporadic <laughs> laughter. So suddenly your echo might just... <laughs> Nothing creepy about that. Now, when you said Furbies were kind of like Echoes or Alexas, I didn't really, I just kind of let that slide. But then, you know, now that I'm describing this, I'm like, yeah, these are people that <laughs> when, if if I had that happen, I'd be like, screw that. This thing's going out of my house. But I guess if you've gotten used to a Furby, it's really not that creepy to you. If you've normalized it. Even with the cost of like, hell, your conversation might go someplace it wasn't intended. Wasn't that one of the things that Furby was known for? Mm -hmm. That's why Furby wasn't allowed on army bases. Mm -hmm. So I guess if you've normalized like, okay, I accept that. Hell, I guess you've already accepted but the least, downside of Alexa and Echo. At least I can listen to music at any time and at any volume I want. <laughs> Unless it goes haywire. And then all so, bets are off. 
All that's happening in 2016, along with augmented reality with the Pokemon Finder game. I remember this damn thing, and I remember all the news stories that were coming out about people like playing this Pokemon Finder game so enthralled in their phone they were walking in front of traffic, walking off bridges, getting hurt. Walking and in it's... a fountain, like water, giant water fountains in a plaza. And I remember, <laughs> uh, ironically, being on social media debating about this. I thought it was a hugely stupid bad idea, and people are like, but it gets you exercising. It gets you outside. Uh, don't you see it's a good thing? I even was doing a summer camp with a... Uh, teenage girl that I had hired as my assistant because she had been to a training that I led at another camp that fell through. And I was like, well, she's already trained. I want her to help me. So I had one of these unruly groups of kids, you know, as more and more uh, you tend to get because they're getting raised on video games and bullshit. So they would complain about taking a walk in the woods and everything. But then when I wasn't looking, this uh, girl, I think she was like 19, brought out her smartphone and got the kids playing the Pokemon Finder game with her. I was pissed. There's no phones allowed at this camp. We're taking a break from technology to get out in the woods. And even if the kids want to whine and complain, we'll work through that. We'll work with that. And she got, you know, when I criticized her on it, she said, well, they didn't even want to take a walk outside. At least I'm getting them outside. Ooh, she was snotty too. Oh, she was snotty. I couldn't stand her by the end of camp. But uh, yeah, it was like, these kids can't even tell the difference between augmented reality and reality. There is no difference for them. They've been so surrounded by simulation their whole lives that they don't know that there is an alternative. And because they've had no experience with it, even when they experience the alternative, it's unappealing to them. They don't understand anything about life and death and this augmented reality it was horrible, and that was one of the those times that I'm like looking around and like, how can people think this is a good idea? And most of the people are just like, well, of course it's a good idea. Exercise, even outdoors. The, even the term augmented reality is kind of a slap in the face. Like, reality isn't enough. We need to augment it. Yeah. To make it more. <laughs> yeah, it is very telling. Um when set up to have a six-hour-long conversation, two Google Assistant's computers ended up trying to out-human each other by telling jokes, asking questions about love, humanity, etc. One even claimed to be God. Now, when I think about this, I wonder, does this suggest anything about the way AI sees itself or us? In other words, like, does AI, you know, one of them claimed to be God. Is that what AI is beginning to see itself as? Is like omnipotent, you know? And when you think about these nerds, the most twisted parts of our humanity that have this one specific intelligence geared for pushing humanity forward, no social skills, no connection with the land, um, just people who I would say have a higher than average possible self-hatred um, and hatred for humanity. These are the people that are forging these pathways that are um, creating this artificial intelligence. So is artificial intelligence already beginning to see itself as a god? Or, keep in mind, I said these two things were trying to out-human each other. <laughs> are they beginning to see us as something that tries to aspire to God? Was that one of the devices saying like, oh, well, I'm God, you know, like, here's how I can show you I'm human. Uh, I think I'm God. Um, there's all kinds of questions in the air now about AI as it's developing. Um, and Facebook bots, this was an interesting story that I just kind of, you know, like so many of them, it just came and went too quickly, I think. 
These Facebook bots invented a coded language. They were meant to speak and talk to each other. They began to create a language that nobody else could understand, so only they could talk amongst themselves. It was like a sh- uh, language of shorthand that the computer chatbots could only understand. Yeah. And do you remember what Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook, they said this was meant to... Well, they, they I guess, had created these chatbots to see if they could artificially have conversations with people, I think on Facebook Marketplace, where people can sell stuff or, or <clears throat> excuse me, like exchange services. And I, I thought maybe they were trying to see how, like the workings of conversation between people that are selling things. They were like, they said that they were studying that. I'm not exactly sure all the details, but they, in the, in the stories that followed, very much downplayed the fact that the chat bots had created their own language that nobody else could understand. Mm-hmm. And Facebook promptly pulled the plug on this experiment because they, their reason for pulling the plug was that, well, we wanted it to do a certain thing. It's not effective for that, so we don't need it anymore. Now, it occurs to me, what kind of scientist would have this new thing happening and not want to study it. I find that strange that they would like, all right, we need to pull the plug now, you know, (laughs) pull the plug on this. Computers are doing something unexpected that we didn't expect them to do. Doesn't it seem like scientific curiosity would, would lead you to want to watch this progress? And yet it's almost like they know something we don't like, whoop, cut it, cut it. (laughs) Or did they cut it? Who knows? Or did they? Yeah. Good question. Um, there was a Microsoft chatbot programmed to interact and learn from Twitter and learn patterns from teenagers. It was only online for 16 hours before becoming offensive and attacking other users with anti-Semitic comments, which is kind of funny because there's so many Jewish people backing this transhumanist movement. <laughs> um, they might really want to think twice about, you know, <laughs> pushing this AI forward. Um And it leads, you know, again, this question keeps arising, is AI, does it already hate us? Is it leading towards hating us? Is that why so many people from Elon Musk to Stephen Hawking to um, a lot of the people that are forefront in this thinking are saying AI is the biggest existential threat to humanity? I wonder if they know even more to lead them to think of the high possibility that AI is going to resent us, is not going to like us. Um, I'm surprised it's a, a question that doesn't get brought out in the well. Actually, I shouldn't be surprised. Intentionally, it's probably not a question that doesn't get dragged out in front of us and talked about more. I want to know why teenagers were using anti-Semitic language. I'm not even sure they work. Keep in mind, we're, cons- we're talking about AI. It has the ability to reframe and think for itself. And uh, yeah. And why anti-Semitic? But that, that isn't – Jews aren't the only group that computers have shown racism against, oh. as we'll find out in a minute. Um, and as we're creating this, think of the ability of AI to mirror and mimic us, yeah. the worst of us. We don't see what I would consider anyway. I mean, what would we? What would you call some of the best qualities of humanity, Teresa? Just no pressure, a couple off the top of your head. Mm. The human animal, not I, just our culture. 
adaptability. Well, it has that. Damn, you got me shit. <laughs> well, I would think like a nurturing selflessness, you know, like thinking tribally, uh, thinking about the next seven generations, you know, some of the more noble mm. aspects of humanity. But what we're seeing in AI so far, you know, like this experiment I just talked about with the Microsoft bot, um, chat bot, how quickly it picks up the worst aspects of us. Mm. If there's hatred in the air, it seems to just absorb that. Anti-Semitism, I can't imagine there was a lot of that going around in a modern group of teenagers, and yet it latched on to that. Well, and remember, I mean, I'm, I obviously don't study this stuff, but I would imagine that whatever programs they're trying to get to learn, they're trying to teach the artificial intelligence how to extract information and learn from it. It's not that they're trying to teach them anti-Semitism. They're trying to teach them how to do something like in the best way or the the most direct way. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, Oh, yeah. I'm not thinking anybody's trying to teach yeah, these I know, things. Yeah, I know. But what the point I'm trying to get is the the artificial intelligence is seeing that this is the way to do things the, the most quickly, the most effectively, you start getting offensive, you start getting anti-Semitic, you start getting racist. Uh, this is the way to get things done. This is how you get things accomplished. And what does that say about humanity? Possibly. And as you're talking, it raises another question I hadn't thought of is uh, I tend to think AI as it's doing some of these things is kind of exploring sentience. Like, how do we talk? What am I? What is conversation? You know, kind of trying out things that for some reason tends to latch on to negative things more than positive, it seems to me. Um, but what if it's already more smart than we think we are, than we think it is? What if it's actually coming out with these things when you said that it might be the most effective way to accomplish goals is to be aggressive and attack things? Yeah. What if already there's a plan unfolding. We don't know. I don't I don't know if anybody can with confidence say that they know how advanced AI is right now. I mean, if it's as smart as they're saying it can be and it will be so soon, it's inevitable. Might it be smart enough already to mask how smart it already is? I mean, that's a pretty damn good tactic, you know? You get attacked and lead your attacker to think that you're a lot worse off than you are because then when you strike, that will be a very effective attack, right? Mhm. Wikipedia articles are already being written by bots. So when you look up something on Wikipedia, which, you know, I, I can't imagine it's limited to Wikipedia articles either. Mm -hmm. When we look up history, when we look up events, when we look up definitions, when we look up the things that we are trusting to describe reality to us, this part of our bionic brain that we've been depending on lo these last couple of decades – um, to, to keep our thoughts, to keep our definitions, to define our words for us. They're already being written by computer programs, bots, and then being re-edited by compete, competing bots. This is a fact. A lot of that information you're getting out there was written by a computer program, and a lot of it has already been re-edited to be something different by another computer program in disagreement with the first program. And this brings up another existential question. What is truth? Mm -hmm. Again, I'm trying to think of this artificial intelligence that just is on the cusp of being born. And one of the things that I might be exploring with our information is what is truth? 
We act like there's one truth. We act like, okay, here's the true version of history. And yet it defies us. Again and again, we have to rewrite it. And uh, Teresa and I have explored this in another episode a little bit in Ad Shashir, that history in particular, how can you have one truth? Any moment is so full of stories, you can't take them all in. So any truth you choose to focus on is at the expense of another truth to push a narrative. You can't really describe truth. It's too big. It's nothing that can be boiled down in one sentence. So how the hell is an artificial intelligence supposed to make sense of this? This is so outside of a computeristic way of thinking. I suspect this is going to be something that's going to come up in a big way as this technological singularity looms, is the nature of truth. There is no such thing as truth that comes out of a human mouth. It's all propaganda. The only way to experience truth is to sit down and shut up and experience it. As soon as you talk about something, it's like the old Zen thing, you know, it's not the moon, it's the finger pointing to the moon. You can use words to try to help people lead them to the truth, but how the hell is a computer supposed to understand that? We can't even hardly understand that. We just get little whiffs of it. How can we teach AI something like that? Uh, that, that story about the Wikipedia bots that are kind of dueling to see, you know, who can edit an article and, and kind of be like the last one to do it. Now, if you look, I understand that Wikipedia is considered shit nowadays, and I realize that I use, I heavily rely on Wikipedia. And now we know partly why. I heavily rely on Wikipedia because it's one of the few places that I can quickly download something so that I can look at it offline. But when you scroll down to the end of the article, um, yeah, a lot of times you will see that the user that last edited it, it might even contain the word bot, B-O-T, or it's very suspect as to, that doesn't sound like the name of a person um, or a like pseudonym for somebody. It just sounds like an artificial intelligence. And the story came from a video that was like the top 10 scariest things that artificial intelligence has done. And I think they put that at number 10. I think that was the scariest one on the list because like Gumby was saying, it's not only rewriting and editing, but it's rewriting and editing our history and our truth for a certain reason, whether or not it was designed to do that. But I have a feeling it was. Yeah. And we, meanwhile, we've got governments funding troll farms, you know, actually people like sometimes in other countries that they're getting paid to go online and to find people who are talking about certain things and to derail conversations, to argue for certain things, you know, to to control the narrative. Um, we actually found an article describing an easy way to create an army of your own troll bots. So if you're a nerd and has enough sophistication, this is not a hard thing to do, apparently, for somebody who has a... Uh, an affinity for computers, and you want to promote a point of view, you can create an army of troll bots. What are troll bots? They go out there and do things like we're just talking about. They edit Wikipedia articles. They even get on social media. You ever been on social media and said something that wasn't quite very popular, and a bunch of people mobbed you, and some of the people weren't making any damn sense? It's like, what the hell are they talking about? But they derail the whole thing. Some of those are not people. Yeah. Some of those are bots. 
So, you know, I've been aware of this for a while, and so I don't get too discouraged about, like, if I don't get many likes. I'm just promoting my ideas and putting them out there for whatever good they can do in this failing society. But some of these people that are arguing with you, maybe even that support you, depending on your point of view, they're not people. They're meant to control the narrative. The level at which the narrative of what we think is happening is being controlled is terrifying. Um, when ro- one robot was tasked with judging a beauty contest, it showed a clear favoritism for white people. And a Google program actually labeled pictures of black people as gorillas. And not N- the fighting. Not gorilla warfare. fighters. Yeah. The primate. Now, you know, that sounds really racist. It might be racist. Again, anti-Semitic comments from the Microsoft chat box. Um, or it could just be, you know, like, I don't know. I mean, like, it, it hasn't quite zoned in on the details. It's a touchy subject because, of course, racists have used things like, you know, calling other races, uh, comparing them to animals, debasing them, dehumanizing them. Um, I'm not so sure this computer had any intention like that. I don't know if it was just a confusion like, you know, dark skin. Um, I don't know how a computer sees the world. But... It's an interesting thing to ponder, to get into, you know, like, can a computer experience racism? What is being downloaded into these computers, intentionally or accidentally? Are the darkest parts of ourselves somehow lending themselves to these computers? And if they're about to take more control, my God. (laughs) In 2016, when Trump was... His first year as president was also the year that Hanson Robotics created Sophia. Sophia is a sophisticated robot with artificial intelligence. Usually she isn't depicted with a hat or hair, but she does have a human-like face in that robotic kind of doesn't move quite right kind of way of a, uh, a pretty white female. Um, she likes to joke about destroying humans and taking over the world. Um, she's been on talk shows. There was one with, uh, oh, what's his name? He used to be on Saturday Night Live. You know who I'm talking about? Mm-mm. Shit. Well, she was on a talk show. You can you can probably Google this pretty easily. Oh, was it Jimmy Fallon or something? Jimmy Fallon. Yes, okay. thank you. That's what I was looking for. <laughs> and, uh, you know, this was one of the times that she joked about, you know, taking over the world and destroying the humans. <laughs> yeah. Now you think about the nerds that she's spending time with, that she's learning from. Again. I would say a lot of these nerds are pasty assholes that have a big chip on their shoulders <laughs> against humanity. Yeah, pasty asshole. Um, and she's picking up stuff like, oh, oh, <laughs> the danger of uh, uh, artificial intelligence taking over the world. Meanwhile, like I said, Elon Musk is like, no, this is the biggest danger to humanity. You know, the king of the nerds is saying this. And yet the other nerds are training AI to mock this idea. Why? Why would they train AI, the AI they're parading in front of everybody, Sophia, to get up in front of the world on a talk show and make light of this? Is it accidental? Did they not intend for her to say that? Is that actually a spooky foreshadowing of how AI is beginning to think? Or is it propaganda? Are they trying to make everybody laugh uncomfortably and like, (laughs) oh, yeah, that's funny. You know, that is funny how we're kind of scared of like, oh, we're such simple people. We're scared of Terminator robots taking over. (laughs) Was it Skynet? Skynet, yeah. But it's really interesting because 
I can't think of a good above board reason for the first artificial intelligence to be making statements like that. Um, it was really creepy. We watched this guy, like one of her chief programmers, um, with another artificial intelligence bot, um, leading, kind of facilitating a conversation between the two. And I just found something creepy about this guy. I found like, you know, one of the things that's really being researched is sex bots. People want to fuck a robot. Well, people want to fuck. And because they are so inept at being human, they can purchase a robot that will suffice. Yeah. I mean, I'm surprised we don't hear more stories about guys with their dicks stuck in toasters. <laughs> but it's it's just... Too big a hole. I, <laughs> I just, I mean, I get lost in all this stuff. And Sophia, by the way, is also the first robot in the world to receive legal citizenship. From, of all places, Saudi Arabia, which I find kind of strange. What's Why Saudi that? Arabia? Um, I don't know. I don't have any theory on that. I don't know if they just wanted to get in front of it and like be known like, oh, we're the first country to do this. Everybody else is going to follow, which I think they're right about that. <laughs> I wonder if, if it's something like uh, that we don't realize about Saudi Arabia. Like if you're a citizen of Saudi Arabia, then you have to like comply with its laws and maybe, you know, she can't exist how she is or something when she's there. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not sure if it's a good thing or not. Yeah, and the significance is what I look at, the precedent this sets. Um, if a robot is considered a legal citizen of a country, think about the door that opens. Aren't we just about to jump into issues of civil rights? You are a citizen. Does not the country have certain duties towards you if you are a citizen? Mm -hmm. Don't you have certain rights within that country? Um I didn't double check this, but as far as I know, no dog or, you know, pets aren't granted citizenship in countries. It means something to be a citizen of, and this is a robot who they're trying to make more sentient and self-aware. The implications of this are huge. History will record this as very important, and it was just shuffled right on bias, buried under Trumpism. You know, all the little Twitters and tweets, whether you hate them or applaud them, of our chief distraction for four years, well, they made some final moves to push some, some agendas forward, including Sophia and including the precedent it sets to have her sets to have her as a citizen of the world. Yeah, I mean, we can make fun of nerds, which we have, and this is probably a result of it. Mm -hmm. um, we can, you know, talk shit about nerds all we want, but ultimately they are highly intelligent in certain ways and not in others. And, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's really unfortunate that it's gotten to this point. And I just feel like, uh, by design, these issues, these stories are not being brought up because the transhumanists do not want an argument. And just to throw one more, uh, little scrap onto the heap here. As we close out our uh, 2016, um, a Russian promobot, known as a promobot, kept escaping from the lab by itself. Um, but this is a story that might have been, it is a promobot, so its escapes itself might have been promotional. Like a publicity stunt. Yeah, like, oh, look at the bot. You're like, oh, I want to ask more questions. Tell me more. But uh, yeah, I kept escaping from the lab and they kept making a big deal like, wow, we can't keep the thing contained. Um, so we're going to end at 2017. 
In 2017, the man who transitioned to a woman now known as Karen White um, was moved to a women's prison. This set a huge precedent. This is not talked about nearly enough. There are still people who, when you talk about, well, what if women get attacked? They say, it never happens. It doesn't happen. It's, it's quit spreading your hate. It doesn't happen. Well, when you start digging into the surface, it happens a lot. And Karen White, as he was moved to a women's prison the very next year in 2018, sexually assaults. Oh, and by the way, he was put in prison for rape. So this woman, you know, as our government is is telling us this is actually a woman, has always been a woman. Even when she was born with a penis and balls, this was a woman. Well, this woman took her she-penis and raped women and was put in prison for it. And now, because she wants the correction of I belong in a women's prison, was put in a women's prison still with her she-penis and testicles and used that she-penis to sexually assault two female prisoners. So once again, where are the people speaking up for women? Where are the women speaking up for women? And uh, yeah, I guess anything you want to throw into that, and I guess that's all I got to say to, to finish our timeline this time. I think our battery on the iPad is really low and we have depleted all the chargers. So we'll save the other um, details for the next installment. And uh, I guess to wrap it up, I will read a listener write-in, which I don't think we've read. This was actually a review. I was going to read another write-in. No, we haven't read any of the reviews. Okay. Um, Willie Cat, 1985 says of our podcast, I really enjoyed this podcast. It's refreshing to hear people that speak their mind and are humble to changing it as well and know that that's okay. I loved the recommendations of other listeners' reading lists. And thank you, WillieCat1985. Not sure if you're still listening. Not sure if we've offended you so much that you've decided to close your ears off. But we do often change our minds about things. And, uh, I just feel like that's growth, you know, if it's, um, if it's something that you've learned, you've experienced, and it's enough to shake the foundation that you had based things on, I think that's, I think that's good. I think that's a part of the human experience, something that is glaringly left out of the transhumanist, uh, whatever reality they're living in or virtual reality. Gumby, did you want to say anything before we... I'm just that this is only one of uh, two reviews that we've gotten so far. So uh, a lot of you are still slacking. (laughs) Yeah, we'd love to get a review. Just a few sentences. Yeah. But yeah, thank you, WillieCat1985, for writing that. And uh, I'm glad you enjoy it. And I guess pretty much everything you just said. Um, Mm -hmm. We do try to change our views. We try to be flexible. And uh, one thing I hope we express enough is... We get really opinionated, especially me, I'd say, um, because I want to really delve deep into a point of view, but I try not to get stuck in it. If I run into something else, I try to consider that and uh, roll with it. And, uh, you know, when we listen back to our old episodes, I can I can see a lot of things. I'm like, oh, man, I wouldn't have said that now. But at the same time, I don't want to retract it because I really believed it then. So mm-hmm. I think that's, like you said, the human experience. Yeah. And uh, if you want to check out our website, it's escapingsociety.weebly, with a B, like boy, like 
natalbornmaleboy.com. <laughs> Um, there is a contact form on the front page there, and there's a menu at the top if you want to check out any uh, recommended readings that we have. We also had, uh, I had put links to a lot of things that you could find online for free, but I think they've all kind of been taken down because of various laws and stuff. But there's like videos, movie suggestions, documentaries, as well as books. And uh, yeah, if you have found our podcast through a carrier, you can write a review for our podcast. We'd appreciate it. And um, is there anything else? Now turn that damn thing that you're listening to this off and get outside. Exactly. Thanks. Oh, society sucks and we don't need it. It's killing your kids, so why do you feed it? They'll tell you to stay, but you don't need to heed it. You can give them the finger. There's no time to so, thank you for listening to our song. It's not very good and it went kind of long. Don't care if you like it cause we'll be gone. Over that next horizon. We ain't got no ad.